Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. If you're listening to this, this is also a video recording. You can go to YouTube or our blog page, blog.primalblueprint.com to see the video. Today, we have a repeat offender, one of our favorite guests, Dr. Ken Berry. He, you can look him up, The Berry Clinic in Tennessee. He's also the author of Lies My Doctor Told Me. And really one of his missions is, and this is great, is to not only put out a ton of content for everybody on a variety of medical subjects, but really tackling type 2 diabetes, which is a mission of you know the primal blueprint, everything we follow along the ancestral path. So today we're really going to get into type 2 diabetes, how you test for it, some of the studies, what are some of the ways you might be misguided along the path? Because as uh, Ken Berry and I have spoken about before and in general, you know, with thyroid stuff, sometimes they're taking the wrong test. You know, how are they evaluating those tests? And I think people are getting a lot of misinformation. I know I've seen people's HbA1c results be alarming and have their doctor say, you got no problem, just keep doing what you're doing. So welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me back. So let's talk about type 2 diabetes. It's an unnecessary condition that is usually brought upon by oneself, even if it's unbeknownst to oneself. And obviously, the food pyramid is a diabetes-creating diet with 6 to 11 servings of grains every day suggested, along with 2 to 4 servings of fruit. I would be a mess if I ate that. Um, So where do you want to start with this? Because this is a big topic. But listen, I only know one person in this entire world who actually has greatly benefited from type 2 diabetes. And that person is my friend who's a composer who did the music for the diabetes medication commercial. That's the only Uh, person. It's the only person. So our our society is riddled with these diabetes medications uh, commercials. Everybody who watches TV knows this. Where do we start? Yeah, let's talk about all of that. But let's start with, because there are millions of people in the U.S. alone with type 2 diabetes. And I want to talk, first of all, about the people who have undiagnosed type 2 diabetes and how that is absolutely, if they go to their doctor for an annual checkup, that's absolutely their doctor's fault. Let's talk about those people first, and let's talk to those people first. And everybody who's watching this, the only way that kind of person is ever going to be aware of this is if you share it with them, okay? So please feel free to share this video with anybody who's a little overweight, whose blood sugar's a little high, but their doctor said, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. We'll check it again next year. That's, no, that's not okay. Now, what's our rating here, uh, L? Because I get triggered when I talk about type 2 diabetes. It really pisses me off, and I want to make sure that you won't be offended if I, if I am a little off color because sometimes I can't help it. You know what? Uh, we're going to mark this explicit because I often swear when I talk about type 2 diabetes. It's a fucking it's, epidemic, it's, guys. It's infuriating. It's an unnecessary epidemic. It's a completely preventable epidemic. So let's take an average patient. We're going to talk about Joe, okay? Joe's 35. He's a little overweight. Uh, he's got health insurance, right? He has a job. He's just a regular guy. He's got a wife. He's got a, spa, he's got a car. He's got a dog. He's got a house payment. So he goes to his doctor once a year, not because he wants to. He hates going to the freaking doctor, right? But he has to because his insurance requires him to do that because they want to know what his total cholesterol is because that's the end-all, be-all of of health in the U.S. currently. And so 
when he goes, his insurance pays 100% for that wellness visit, right? And so, but they only pay for very limited lab work. And most doctors know this. And so uh, in earlier in my career, I didn't know that. And so I would order all this lab work and then the patient would get a bill. And then they'd be upset about that. I'm like, oh, sorry, I didn't know. So let me tell you what insurance companies will pay for and how it can completely blind your doctor to type 2 diabetes, to severe thyroid disease, and other things that he's just not going to catch if he checks the insurance-approved labs, okay? So Joe goes to his doctor begrudgingly. He's got to get this form signed to send into his insurance to keep his rates low. And so his doctor says, okay, he listens to his heart, does a little cursory physical exam because that's required. And then he says, okay, Joe, I'm going to send you to the lab, get some labs, and we'll check them. So he checks the following labs on Joe because this is what his insurance will pay for. He checks the basic metabolic panel, which checks the, the kidneys and the electrolytes and a calcium level, right? Then he checks a lipid panel, because God forbid, you got to know what the, the total cholesterol is, right? He checks a urinalysis, and he checks a complete blood count. Now, for most insurance companies, that's all they're going to pay for for the annual visit. That's it, right? So if he does check a full thyroid panel, Joe's going to get a bill, and he's going to be calling Dr. Barry and saying, what the hell, Dr. Barry? Well, I got a bill for $400. I thought this was, this was supposed to be covered 100%. So doctors don't order extra stuff for the annual exam. And I'm going to, if any doctors are listing their providers, I'm going to tell you how to do that in the future so your patient doesn't get a bill, uh, or at least not the full bill, right? And so Joe gets a call from his doctor a week later or the nurse saying, hey, Joe, everything's fine. All your labs are normal. You're in good shape. Keep doing what you're doing. I'll see you next year. Okay? Because Joe checked all of his lab work fasting, right, because that's what you're supposed to do. His, his blood glucose level was normal. It was, it was 98, 97, 95, 94. It was normal. And so the doctor has no idea about Joe's actual glucose and insulin metabolism. Nothing. He, there's nothing in those labs that tells that doctor anything. Got that? What so tells Joe, us that? So because the doctor did not check an A1C or a hemoglobin A1C, he has no idea what Joe's three-month blood sugar average is. Joe could be a severely uncontrolled type 2 diabetic and have a normal fasting blood sugar. It happens every day. Every day I see patients in my clinic as new patients who've traveled a distance to see me, and they're like, no, I don't have any chronic conditions. And then when I'm calling them a week later, I'm like, yeah, dude, you got type 2 diabetes. They're like, what the hell? I've been getting an annual exam for 8, 12, 15 years now. They've never said a thing about that. Or so, so if Joe's blood glucose is normal, then his doctor's done. It's like, you're normal. You're fine. I'll see you in a year. So Joe gets to suffer from the damage of uncontrolled type two diabetes for another 12 months. That damage cannot be taken back until he sees his doctor next time for next year. Right. Let's talk also, a little bit about that damage. Um, we're talking right, about right. accelerated glycation. Can you tell us about some of the other yeah. things that happen when we let that get out of control? Right. And so this is not theoretical, L. There are actually two studies that show beyond doubt that pre-diabetics are suffering permanent irreparable damage before they're diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Okay. There was a study done at the, the University of Tennessee in Memphis with veterans that showed that for, you know, the average length of, of time before you're diagnosed with type 2 diabetes is anywhere from 7 to 15 years before your fasting blood sugar gets so damn high that the doctor finally goes, ooh, maybe we should check an A1C. 
And so there's two studies that show there, this is not up for debate. This is settled science that you can have severe damage, renal damage, neurological damage, heart damage done before you're ever diagnosed with diabetes. The damage doesn't start on the day of your diagnosis. The damage has been going on for years before that. Okay. And so, you know, this is not conjecture. This is not my opinion. This is settled medical science. Yet somehow doctors don't seem to know that a 35 year old who's a little overweight can have severe type two diabetes without having an elevated fasting blood sugar. Now that's bad, right? But let's also talk about what if Joe's blood sugar came back at 104, his, his fasting blood sugar, 105, 104, 101, 101. That's not terrible, right? Is his doctor going to bring him back in and check an A1C? Nine out of 10 times, no. He's going to be like, well, your blood sugar's a little high. Cut back on the sweets and desserts, right, and Cokes, and I'll see you again in a year. But uh, if it's an uninformed doctor, he has no idea that, that grains of any kind also raise Joe's blood sugar, right? Yeah, too, too, many, too much fruit will raise Joe's blood sugar and continue the permanent irreparable damage that Joe will suffer for the next 12 months. I have a question, or I want you to elaborate on this. So I will share with everyone, you know, looking at me now, you're like, oh, she's normal. I had a high HbA1c of 5.7. I felt the inflammation. I was absolutely insulin resistance. I knew there was an issue with weight loss at the time. And I want to say that had I not gone to a functional doctor to do some of these other tests, I also had some other issues that could have caused a heart attack or a stroke at the age of like, 40. That is unacceptable. I work out all the time. I'm healthy and it happened to me. Sometimes things get to a certain point and, you know, had I not been tested for that, I don't know that things could have turned around and I might not even be talking to you at this point. And I'm one of these people that works out and kind of eats healthy, you know? And so if it's happened to me, it can happen to everybody. And I think the the false notion is we've had a lot of athletes on this show who are going towards type two diabetes because even though they're not fat and they're quote, getting away with it visually, they're not getting away with it in the background. Can we talk about how the species that release the least amount of insulin usually last the longest and you don't want to keep hitting that pancreas, even if you're burning the sugar and then right. you're still tapping and knocking on that door. And can we talk about how, you know, cause people look at themselves and they might think they're healthy, but they're an inflamed pre-diabetic and yeah, don't even know it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, so, so we'll keep talking about Joe in that, in that vein. So Joe goes about his life, eat lots of fruit, eat, eat whole grain bread and whole grain products because that's good for you. And so he does another 12 months of damage. Now let's talk about that damage. How does that, what, how does that happen if his blood sugar is just a little high? And so what can happen is if that doctor had said, Hey Joe, check, check your blood sugar two hours after you eat. Joe would have found that after he eats a meal, you know, a sandwich and an apple for lunch, his blood sugar is 195. Boom. Okay, so every organ of your body, from your eyes to your heart to your kidneys to your liver to your penis, is fed by tiny blood vessels. That's how we get nutrition to those organs, right? And we want all of our organs to continue working, right? And so anytime your blood sugar is above 140, and some people say even lower than that, but let's just go with 140, you're doing permanent damage that can never be taken back to the retina of your eye, to the tiny arteries in your brain, to the arteries feeding your heart muscle, kidneys, liver, every organ, same story, toes, right? Everything's the same. And so when your blood sugar is one point above 140, you're doing permanent damage. And then also when your insulin is chronically elevated, as it is in type 2 diabetics, whether diagnosed or undiagnosed, 
that also does damage. It's not just the high blood sugar. And so then when you're eating an inflammatory diet, like Elle alluded to earlier, the inflammation is damaging the lining of these little arteries, as is the elevated glucose, as is the elevated insulin. So you've got a triple threat that's damaging all of the tiny arteries that feed every single organ that you need and that you value. And so for years, you can get away with it, like Elle said, because you haven't done enough damage for it to be visible or or for you to be aware of it, right? You can have severe 80% blockages in your coronary arteries and have no idea unless you're an elite level athlete, you're trying to, to perform at peak intensity, then you might have some shortness of breath or pressure. But if you're just, if you're just Joe working your job and, and coming home to your family, you never exert yourself. And so you have no idea that you would fail a stress test, not only of your heart, but of your brain and of your kidneys and every other organ. And Joe maybe notices he's, he's starting to have a little trouble in the bedroom that's the first, that's like the, the train whistle blowing, saying the train is about to run over your ass. Because isn't that, and it's all antagonistic to testosterone, right? I mean, and oh, a lot yeah, of yeah. other things. So uh, can you talk about testosterone? And then also, can you explain, I mean, this makes sense. I'll draw the logical conclusion with the blood vessels as to why it is that we hear about diabetics losing legs or losing an eye. I mean, yeah. I know that when I was severely pre-diabetic at that time, I, I was having a lot of vision issues and I thought, oh my God. And so, you know, we hear about someone losing their leg or having to get something amputated. Can you touch on testosterone and then that, those two things? Yeah. So, so the, the standard American diet or the standard diet, the Western diet causes chronic inflammation. It causes chronic elevation in insulin, right? And that, all of that stuff, all that inflammation, and then plus the plastics. I, did you guys have Dr. Jay on uh, the Esther Generation. Did you have him on? Dr. Anthony Jay. Yes, I yeah, did. Yeah, love that guy. Love that. His, yeah, book. He's great. his book is so underappreciated. Every male in the U.S. needs to buy Esther Generation right now. Pause this video, go buy the book, and then come back because you need to know about the estrogens in your environment. Everybody thinks that we fixed the, the, the plastic issue when we got BPA out of plastics. That's just the surface, okay? That's just what the federal government made the corporations do. You don't know about BPS and all the other plastics that have the same exact effect on your testosterone levels. They're all estrogenic and they all lower your testosterone level. And if your testosterone level is not optimal, whether you're a man or a woman, you're going to suffer. Okay. Now we'll talk about the losing the leg thing. So remember I talked earlier about the chronic inflammation and the chronically elevated insulin and blood sugar and how they damage the tiny arteries. And so when you lose a tiny artery in your big toe, nothing really happens. Your toe might be a little dusky. It might feel a little weird, like on the tip, it'd be a little tingly, but you're like, I don't know, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm 38 now. What big deal, right? I, 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 don't, I don't, it's not a big deal. Only when you start blocking major arteries, do you start losing meat, right? Do you start having, you lost a toe or you lost in, and you know, nobody just loses a toe to type two diabetes. You lose the toe, then you lose the foot, then you lose the leg because you, you were sent to the dietitian to learn how to eat properly. And then you started losing even more meat because the average dietitian has no idea about the things that Elle and I know about and, and that I teach my patients about every day. And that's that whole grains are, are the devil. And you can't eat fruit like, like a monkey. You can't do that. You don't have the same digestive system. And so you cannot do that. But that's how people wind up losing major organs or having a heart attack. Losing a toe is the same. It's an analogous to having a heart attack. It's the same exact thing. It's just a different organ. 
Erectile dysfunction is the same thing. It's just a different organ. A stroke is the same thing. It's just a different organ. Uh, let me ask you about, all right, so with type 2 diabetes, we've got the HbA1c the hemoglobin yes. A1C, which is that three-month glucose tolerance test. I've been yes. told by Dr. Forsman in my book that 5.2 or below, regardless of what stuff online says, is optimal. There are yep. people that are... So, so like, I mean, tell me if I'm right, but if you're like 5.4, 5.5, you might go, all right, I need to look at the carbs. Let's start to... And if you're up to where I was, like 5.7, I felt it. I mean, I believe me, yep. I was inflamed. <laughs> uh, I definitely felt it. And I got to tell you, the moment I saw that result... I, I bawled my eyes out. It was yes. Horrible. So I actually have you beat. Mine got up to five point nine, oh, and that's damn. back when I was that fat, stupid doctor that I talk about in lies. My doctor told me, and that's one of the one of the things that that gave me the epiphany of uh, yeah. Hey, Doctor Barry, you don't know jack about human nutrition. You need to go back to school and learn something. That's kind of what woke me up because here I am, a doctor walking into exam rooms telling people, "Hey, you're fine. It's no big deal. Whatever." And I'm getting metabolically sick myself. And so I couldn't have that. I had to fix that. And thus my journey through Mark's book, The Primal Blueprint, Lauren Cordain's book, The Paleo Diet, and Robert Atkins' book, The Atkins Diet Revolution, those are kind of my, were my wake-up call. And they'd be a great wake-up call for you guys as well. If you're, if you're just now starting this journey, those are great places to start. So, yeah, I had a 5.9, and I, I felt okay. I mean, my joints were achy. I had terrible heartburn. I had, uh, you know, I had uh, acne in my 30s, and I, I, I felt kind of crummy, but I felt normal, right? And because that is, that's the normal in the U.S. today to be in your 30s and not feel great, be tired all the time. I'd get home from, from, from work, from the office, and the couch was my best friend. It was like I would, you know, I'd lay down and watch a documentary or something. But that's not normal for a 30-something-year-old. To, to, you shouldn't even know where the couch is in your house. The recliner, you're like, I don't know. We might have one. I don't know because I'm too busy to ever get in the thing. If, if your favorite – I tell guys every day in the office, if the most attractive thing in your house is the couch, there's a problem. You probably got low T and you probably got metabolic disease, okay? The couch is not your best friend. It's your worst enemy. And so, yeah, I had a 5.9 and I was only able to reverse that by going down the road from primal to paleo to, to ketogenic. And now for the last six months, I've been 95, 97% carnivore. And that's actually been the next step in my journey. And we can talk about that on the next podcast if you want to, because I think carnivore for a subset of the population is the diet they should eat. I don't think it's for everybody, but I think for a lot of people, it's a big deal and it's, and it's coming. It'll be on the radar soon. Yeah, I'm going to go down that experimentation a little bit further because I feel best when that's kind of primary. And also, it's interesting, I feel better with like beef. There, you, know, you just get to know your body and you're like, that's my thing over there. Um, let's talk about the test again. So we got the HbA1c. Is that the definitive we need to get there in a fasting, what insulin and glucose? What do yeah. we need if we think we're insulin resistant or we think we're headed down a bad path? What are the tests we need to get to go, yes or no, I'm in trouble? Yeah, so... Uh, back to the standard lab panel, right? We, you, and so uh, let me say this to, to plug Ale's book because I think it's a very important book. Joe also has severe undiagnosed Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which has led to hypothyroidism. And he also has no idea because even if his doc checked the TSH, which some docs will in the annual exam, it can be normal for years. It can be normal for a decade. 
before it gets severe enough that the TSH actually elevates, right? So now let's say, let's say Joe's doc is a little bit ahead, ahead of the curve and he actually checked in A1C. Some insurances will pay for that, some won't. And it was 5.7, 5.8. There are so many doctors in the U.S. today that will call Joe a week later and say, well, your, your A1C is a little high. We're going to watch that and we'll check it again next year. And you maybe get some dietary counseling, which is 95% of the time bad dietary advice, but usually he doesn't get any at all. His doc's like, well, just, you know, eat more whole grains and, and maybe start jogging and we'll check it again next year. Terrible advice. Worthless. Worth, worse than worthless. Actually, that's negative advice. That is harmful advice. That doctor just did harm to Joe by giving him that crappy advice. Okay. So in order to know about Joe's insulin and glucose metabolism, his doctor should have checked an A1C, a C peptide, and a fasting insulin, okay? With those three tests, you can get a good handle on Joe's insulin and glucose metabolism. If Joe's A1C is even one-tenth of a point high, that's a huge wake-up call. You are pre-diabetic, and I agree with you, L. I think if it's above 5.4, you're pre-diabetic and you need to get serious about your health right then. If you want your forties and fifties to be a fun place for you to live in, you need to get dead serious about your carbohydrate metabolism at that point. When you get to 5.5, that's all bets are off. You're pre-diabetic. You need to get serious about your diet or you and your family will suffer for the next few decades of your life as miserable as it might be. If Joe's C-peptide is even one-tenth of a point high, then Joe is insulin resistant, okay? And so what here's how that What are we looking at for that test? Like, what are we looking at for that? Because we've talked about the A1C, but will you give us the definitive for the yeah, other? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so the range of normal is different for different reference labs. So Quest and LabCorp may have different labs, just like or, or reference ranges, just like they do for TSH. But if you're, and so it just a, for the average Joe out there, right, if you're, if your C-peptide level is even one-tenth of a point above the reference range of normal, you are insulin resistant, and that's a, that's a wake-up call. If you don't want to suffer through the next 30 years of your life, you need to take charge of your carbohydrate metabolism at that point, okay? So here's how C-peptide works. When the beta cells in your pancreas make insulin, they actually make pro-insulin. Now, I'm going to do this since we're video, right? So this is insulin, and this is C-peptide. Pro-insulin is made of both of those put together. But when then an enzyme cleaves them, insulin becomes active doing what it does. And see, peptide, it probably does some stuff because the human body's not stupid, but we are. We don't know what it does yet, but all we know is it's a great marker for how much insulin your pancreas secretes every day. And C-peptide is great because you don't, necess- you don't have to be fasting for it to matter. And also, even if you're a type 2 diabetic in your own insulin injections, which you shouldn't be, that's a whole other podcast, then the C-peptide is not affected by the insulin injections. It still tells me if your pancreas is secreting insulin or not, and if it is, how much is it secreting too much? And so the C-peptide gives you a great look at your insulin metabolism. If it's even one-tenth of a point high, it's time to get serious with your diet, okay? If the A1C is even one-tenth of a point high, it's time to get deadly serious with your diet because with type 2 diabetes, the end result that's preferable is that you have a big heart attack and die immediately. That would actually be preferable to what type two diabetes does to most people, right? It's it's right, a you'd terrible, rather just drop miserable, dead than have to yes. lose that business. Exactly um, right. Exactly right. 
Let's now, fasting talk. insulin is also another great test, but you have to be obviously fasting. And in a busy medical practice, I can't have 45 people come in at 730 in the morning to have their labs drawn. There, there's, I only have one lab tech, right? And so that's why for any providers listening, you can use C-peptide any time of the day to look at the insulin metabolism. It doesn't have to be fasting. And so no matter when somebody comes in, you can still check an A1C and a C-peptide and you can get a great handle on their glucose and insulin metabolism. I love it. Let's just talk about that. There is some, um, you can, you can reverse this. Okay. Yes. You no. Know, um, so I want to mention one of the things that's a little frightening to me is it's that whole idea I've spoken about before. Like when you're taking let's say T3 directly, um, if you're fully replacing your thyroid, then it's like you as a human are managing that. And that's not as good as T4 doing its job on its own if it's working right, because that's right. meant to convert. So it's kind of like the same thing. I look at it like that with insulin. When you've go down the point where you've chosen to go down the path of shooting insulin, you're looking at a life of mismanagement and some problems that can come up because of that, right? And I have also seen type 2 diabetics on insulin who are obese still eating candy as if for some reason shooting insulin is the way out of that. Um, So this is just a mess. You know, if you get diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, you want to do everything you can to reverse this naturally because A, it's possible. And everyone goes to the doctor and the doctor says, here's a pill, come back in six weeks, we'll see if you need insulin. Hey, if a doctor tells you to take a pill for blood glucose, go to Ken Berry's website and immediately get on this low carb train, right? So let's talk about that mess of the mismanagement of getting down to the point where you have to shoot it now. So type 2 diabetes, and the definition of type 2 diabetes is insulin resistance, okay? That's what causes it. Your, Your cells are already full of glucose. And so your pancreas is ramping up insulin production because insulin pushes glucose into the cells and your pancreas doesn't know what to do in a carb rich environment because humans have never, they've only lived in a carb rich environment for the last 50, 60, 70 years. Right. And so your pancreas doesn't know what to do when you're eating 45 to 60 grams of carbs per meal and then having a a 10 to 20 gram snack in between each meal and then a 20 gram carbohydrate snack at bedtime, your pancreas doesn't there. If you're the human body, that's not conducive to life. Okay. That is not the normal situation for the human body. It's just like when we take our dogs and we feed them a grain based dog food, they all get fat and diabetic, right? That that's, we, we have a pet obesity epidemic in the U S for the same damn reason that we have a human Ep, uh, type 2 pre-diabetes, type 2 diabetes, and obesity epidemic in, in Western society. It, it's the same cause, okay? And so if the doctor did check an A1C and it was, you know, 6.2, Joe still feels pretty good. He feels normal by U.S. standards. And his doc's like, whoa, Joe, that's what you got type 2 diabetes. I'm going to start you on metformin, which is that's a standard first drug. It's not a terrible drug. It's probably the least bad of all of the diabetes medications. Acarbose is another one that's that's less bad, but it's very seldom used in the U.S., Uh, but it is used more in other countries. And so he puts Joe on metformin. He says, we're going to recheck in three months. I want you to go to a dietitian, right, or a nutritionist so you can learn how to eat. So Joe goes to the the dietitian, he starts taking his metformin, and the dietitian proceeds to tell him the American Diabetes Association diet, which says, Joe, you need to eat anywhere from 45 to 60 grams of carbs per meal 
so that you don't get hypoglycemic, of course. And then you need to have a snack in between each meal, and that needs to be 10 to 20 grams of carbs. But now they need it needs to be whole grain because that's that's important. And it needs to be lots of fruit because that's important, and lots of vegetables, which I, that's okay for most people. And so Joe begins to eat this diet, and he starts to jog, and he goes back in three months, and his A1Cs actually went up. Because Joe used to love meat, but also the dietitian told him that saturated fat will make his diabetes worse. True story. Okay, where, like, where is that connection coming from? That makes no sense to me. I'm not a doctor. So how would anyone make that false connection? Uh, there is no connection whatsoever, but the average school for dietitians and nutritionists is sponsored by huge corporations with names like Kellogg's, Kraft, Archer Daniels, Midland, those guys. And guess what they make their money off of? Carbohydrates. And so the dietitian was not, it's not a conspiracy. She's well-meaning. He's well-meaning. He's, he's trying to help Joe but he just doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, right? He doesn't know what the human body is actually supposed to eat. The average dietitian has no idea what the human diet was a thousand or 5,000 or 20,000 years ago. They have no idea. All they know is what they were taught in the school that was bought by Kellogg's or Kraft or Post. And so that's what they teach. And so Joe actually ramps up his carbohydrate intake based on what the dietitian told him. And so when he goes back in three months to get his A1C rechecked, what do you think it's going to be? It's going to be higher. And Joe's like, what the hell? Well, I'm doing everything, doc. Now, let me tell you about the doc's mentality. He'll nod and smile at Joe, but in his mind, I used to do the same thing. He's thinking, yeah, dude, you're sitting on the couch eating Twinkies and Doritos. I know you are, right? But Joe has honestly changed his diet and changed his lifestyle based on what he was taught, but it made his type 2 diabetes worse. And now and he so, thinks that this is just him. This is just him. Right. Or he goes, oh, well, my Aunt Mary and, and right. Joe had right. diabetes, so it must right. be me. And you know what? That's yeah. a bunch of crap. Yeah. That's right, because diabetes does run in families. But 95% of the reason for that is because families tend to eat the same diet because your mama taught you how to eat, right? And so Joe goes back to the doctor, and the doc's like, oh, man, this is worse. And so Joe's thinking my diabetes is genetic. I don't know. I just got to take this medicine. I don't know. Joe's in the dark, but his doctor's also in the dark and his dietitian's also in the dark. They're all well-meaning. They're all trying to do what they think is right. But Joe is getting worse. And remember the microvascular damage we talked about earlier. The two studies showed Joe's having damage every day, every minute that his blood sugar is above 140. He's having permanent irreparable damage done to every organ of his body. So this is huge. It's like he's being poisoned and everybody's trying to help him with this poisoning, but nobody's helping him. They're only making it worse. And so Joe's doctor starts him on a second pill. He's like, okay, Joe, do this. Go back to the dietitian because maybe you weren't paying attention, and I'll check it again in three months. And so Joe goes back to the dietitian. He's like, yeah, I'm eating whole grain. Yeah, I'm eating fruit. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cut. I don't eat any bacon anymore. I've stopped. I, I trim the fat off all my meat now. And so then he goes back in three months, and guess what his A1C is done? Went up again. And then Joe is completely, he's defeated at that point. He's like, I don't know. I'm doing everything I can do. I don't even know what to do. So then at that point, Joe says, screw it. I'm just going to eat what I want because obviously this is not helping. And so he goes back and his A1C is three-tenths of a point higher. And his doc's like, dude, we got to get a handle on this. This is getting out of control. I'm going to start you on a bedtime dose of insulin. Okay. I'm going to say, okay, we got to take control of your blood sugar. The doc completely ignores all the research that shows that chronically high insulin is also damaging to the microvasculature. And so he starts Joe on bedtime insulin and he gives him a chart. I used to do the same thing 
Every day of my practice, the first three or four years I was in practice, Joe's doctor's not a bad guy. He just don't know what the hell he's talking about, okay? And so Joe follows his chart, and every night he goes up a little on his insulin based on his fasting blood sugar that morning, and he keeps going up, and then now he's on 50 units of insulin at bedtime, and he's really starting to feel like crap at this point. He's feeling really bad. He's completely defeated. Nothing he's been told to do helped. It made it worse. And so Joe's doctor keeps increasing the insulin, right? And so the damage is ongoing, guys. In the background, the clock's ticking. All the damage is being done to all Joe's organs. Joe's completely given up at this point. It's just genetic in his mind. There's nothing he can do. So he's back to just eating whatever again. And the doctor says, it's okay, Joe. I'm going to start you on some insulin with each meal. And so that way, what you can do is you can calculate your carbohydrates. So if you, if you want to have three slices of pizza for lunch, that's okay. You're just going to match it with your insulin dose. This is, this is standard medical advice in the U.S. today, L. Standard. This, this is, is really, is, I'm like shaking, you can't see me. I'm like shaking my fist in the background. Right? I want to like what? middle yeah. fingers up everywhere. I'm just like so angry. Um, yeah. Are you freaking so kidding me? me. Yeah. yeah. And so, so now Joe is, he's 40 now. He's been going down this road. And he ha- he goes to the cardiologist because he's having severe shortness of breath and chest pain now. And he goes to the cardiologist, and the cardiologist does a stress test. And, and Joe fails it, and he does a cath on him. And Joe's got 80% blockages in his heart arteries. His doctor starts him, and well, his family doctor would have already started a statin immediately and put him on a blood pressure pill to protect his kidneys because that somehow makes sense, right? And so... So Joe now ha- he gets two stents out of the cath, and he's now a sick man. He's in, he's in his early 40s, and he is a sick man. He has a sick man mentality. His wife is worried sick about their future. What are we going to do? He's the primary breadwinner, or he at least wins a lot of the bread in the household. What are we going to do? Dad's sick. Now he, he's afraid to go outside and play with his kids because he might have a heart attack and die because he's a diabetic, Right. And so everything that you do, you guys see how this there's no conspiracy. There's no evil in this. This is all human nature. This is all humans trying to help other humans and humans trying to help themselves. That's the insidious nature of what's going on with the standard of care in the U.S. today with type two diabetes. This is what's happening every day. This is why we have an epidemic of obesity. This is why we have an epidemic of type two diabetes. And this is why I started the Facebook page and the YouTube channel. Because I have made it my personal mission to stop this madness. This has to stop. But until other doctors and dietitians are on board, it's going to continue. Yeah, I um, just was at the dentist recently for my cleaning. And the woman who was a little overweight was doing my teeth and asked me what I did. We got into the discussion. And she said, well, I have actually new blood work. And I said, oh, well, you know, if you want me to take a look at it, just to see if anything pops out. And her HbA1c was 58 and I said to her, I said, listen, no, and no, no one flagged it, of course, like we're talking about, no one said anything to her. And I ended up sent, going home and shipping her a copy of the Primal Blueprint <laughs> because I, and that's Perfect. what I do when I meet these people. And, you know, I told Perfect. her, I said, you were meant to run into me today. This isn't a joke. You're 33 years old. You've got kids. This is unacceptable. This needs to change. And it's all mouth to anus. It's all you. It's all diet. Don't let anyone let you go down this road. And I guess this all speaks to what I talk about in the paleothyroid solution, what we talk about. You mentioned the term earlier. It's not a slam to call doctors uninformed. It's not that all doctors are uninformed, but there are a lot that are just steeped in some outdated 30-year-old practices that they learn in medical school and haven't gone above and beyond. So when yeah. 
Dr. Barry is talking about uninformed doctors, it's they just don't know better. They're trying to help. Like you once said, you were a fat doctor who probably you said contributed maybe to the demise of some people unknowingly because of what you were taught that was debunked at some point. So that's the message here, guys, is that you have to take this into your own hands in terms of research and learning about it. If someone diagnoses you with something, don't just listen to an MD, listen to maybe four or five, get other right. opinions, look online. You may find an answer and know more, more about it than your doctor, which happens a lot with this thyroid thing. So yes. it's got to be the same with this. And we talked about that, how there's just that level of same uninformed, like again, these dietitians. my mom went to one years ago and literally the woman told her to eat like, I mean, a shitload of whole grains almost every meal. And even my mother at the time was like, that didn't sound right. I'm like, oh, that is not right. But that was the dietitian standard. Eat more carbs. Absolutely. And so part of my mission is talking to providers, doctors, nurse practitioners, physician assistants. You guys got to get the chip off your shoulder. You don't know everything, okay? If someone said, well, Dr. Barry, you don't know jack about brain surgery. I'd be like, no, you're right. I don't. I don't know anything about the standard of care for brain surgery. You don't know jack about rocket science. No, you're right. I don't I have, I have no idea. I would happily admit my deficit in knowledge because I don't, I don't know anything about those things. The average medical doctor, the average DO, the average NP, PA doesn't know jack about useful, meaningful human nutrition, and it, and nor do dietitians or nutritionists. And it's time for you guys to get the chip off your shoulder and realize you don't know jack about this. It, you are harming your patients by giving them the standard medical advice. If you send a patient to the MyPlate website on the federal government website, you are dooming them to type 2 diabetes. If you send your patient to the average dietitian or nutritionist, you are dooming them to soon be on insulin. It will happen because that's what that advice leads to invariably. It's time for doctors to go back to to take off their holier-than-thou white coat and to take off their know-it-all hat and get busy learning again and get busy reading again. This goes to medical students. This goes to physical therapy. This goes to everybody who has a say who any who Joe would look up to if they happened to say, hey, you need to cut down on the saturated fat and eat more whole grains. Now, if, if somebody in your dental chair says that, you can't blame that woman for not taking your advice because you're just a, you're just a patient in the chair, right? But I hope she does take your advice because she'll save her life if she does. But anybody who puts on a white coat and hands out any sort of nutritional advice, it's time to go back to the drawing board and put back your student hat back on and learn what the hell you're talking about because you are harming people. You are causing harm. And if you'll remember, doctors, your oath, remember that? Did you mean that? Or were you just joking that day? Did you mean that, did you mean that oath you took? Or was that just a formality and didn't really mean anything to you? Because if it didn't mean anything to you, you need to stop what you're doing. You need to close your practice and you need to go ride the garbage truck because that's the level of professionalism that you're practicing. Yeah, I'm really glad you gave that 
stern uh, advice, it's really important that everybody steps up, including the patient. I want to share by the time this comes out, this podcast will have been released, but there's a famous chef named Seamus Mullen. And in talking about diseases that can be reversed through mouth through anus, okay, mouth to anus, I guess, um, which is just what you put in your mouth, is uh, Seamus Mullen was riddled with rheumatoid arthritis for 10 years on a variety of medications, okay? Like a million medications. He could barely walk down a flight of steps. He felt like his hands were smashed with a hammer. It's a really uh, brutal podcast in terms of what it did to his body. He was a chef, started to look at food. He literally, if you tested his blood right now and for the past seven years, has been off every single medication not a symptom unless he eats something that might affect it a little bit, but it doesn't ever get bad. It took him only six months to start to, when he, when he went strict with the food, it took about six months. Uh, he was still in pain, but then he started to notice, oh, I can walk down the steps normally. Oh my God, my hand. I could. And then after about 12 months, he had no markers for rheumatoid arthritis in his blood whatsoever and, uh, and weaned off medications. And then literally 18 months, no medication, seven years, perfectly fine. Listen, rheumatoid arthritis is worse almost of a uh, diagnosis in people's heads about how far you can or can't correct that versus type 2 diabetes. It's almost like type 2 di- So I'm, I just bring this up as a, there is no, um, you have to try this natural protocol and you have to go down this route first. And it can take some time. Type 2 diabetes is probably even correctable a little bit faster, but this is the way to go. You have to try this. Don't go down the road of medication. And on that note, and we could probably do a whole podcast on rheumatoid arthritis, but I had a friend who was just regulated to a wheelchair for life at the age of 40. And over the 10 years that they gave her all these medications, she said, well, don't you think we should retest the rheumatoid arthritis? They go, no, 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 it'll probably be there. You have it for life. They just gave her a life sentence. Turns out she actually isn't positive for RA. She has horrific Hashimoto's antibodies. So again, you know, any of these topics, it's not too far gone sometimes. So what? You lost your toe. There may be a way back so that you don't yeah. lose your foot. And it's worth investigating people. I'm, I'm an example of that. Um, on the thyroid note, I was told by a doctor, I just needed more T4, even though I had a very severe reverse T3 problem. And that's another scenario like Ken Berry was talking, Dr. Ken's talking about, where it's like, you're hurting me. <clears throat> that advice you just gave me is hurting me. Because you don't know better and that's okay, but just go learn better. So I just want to give people hope out there who are suffering that these things, some of the worst things are totally turnaroundable. Yeah, absolutely. And so what I want everybody to start thinking of is we know what type 2 diabetes is, but I want you to start thinking of basically every other chronic disease that humanity suffers from as insulin resistance of, and then fill in the blank with whatever organ you have that's affected. So if you have chronic arthritis, there may be one person out of out of 100,000 has an inherited arthritis that there's just nothing they can really do anything about. But if you have osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, any of the autoimmune arthritis, you need to think of that as insulin resistance of the joints. Okay, and I'll tell you why I'm saying this in a second. If you have PCOS, that's insulin resistance of the ovaries. If you have Hashimoto's, that's probably insulin resistance of your immune system that happens to be attacking your thyroid gland instead of some other organ. If you have early dementia, that is 
insulin resistance in your of the arteries in your brain. If you have coronary heart disease or coronary artery disease, same thing. I could just go all day with this, okay? And now let me tell you why I say that because since I've been recommending a very low carb high healthy fat diet in my practice for the last five, six, seven, eight years. I don't know. All these things get better. Okay. Even migraine headaches, when somebody starts eating a ketogenic diet, even seizure disorders that we thought were genetic and there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to take this fistful of pills every day. All that gets better. You may not cure it, but wouldn't you have, wouldn't you like to have less frequent and less, less severe migraines? Duh. Wouldn't you like to have less frequent and less severe heartburn? Duh. And what about ADD? You mentioned that. ADD and anxiety, all of those kind of things. Yeah, Yeah. and I have ADD. You guys, if you've watched enough of my videos, you you know that. But I have had better control of my ADD than I've ever had in my life, okay? And it's because I'm feeding my brain the healthy fats it needs, and I'm not poisoning poisoning it with the carb coma, the carbage, that I used to poison my brain with. Okay. I've, I've had mothers in my practice wean down and stop the ADD meds for their children who are on daily ADD medications, which are habit forming. And we don't even know what they do to the brains of young children. It's not been studied. You think it has as a patient or as the mother of a patient, but it has not been studied long-term. I can promise you. Okay. And so you can reverse or at least improve all of these chronic conditions by fixing your diet. Don't listen to your doctor. Don't listen to your dietitian. Don't listen to your nutritionist. Fix your diet. Start watching these, listening to podcasts, start watching YouTube videos. Is some of that advice crap? Yeah, it is. But if you keep learning and you've got your thoughtful cap on, you're going to pick up like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, that's stupid, right? And so if someone's telling you that you can fix your carbohydrate metabolism by eating lots of fruits and vegetables every day, That's probably stupid because all carbohydrates break up ultimately into glucose, right? All of them, whether it's the, well, wait, whether it's the carbohydrates from a honey bun or whether it's the carbohydrates from a piece of raw broccoli, they all break down into glucose. The only difference is how fast the glucose hits your system. Okay. And so depending on how metabolically sick you are, you, all of us need to stop the honey buns immediately, right? All of us need to stop the fruit juice immediately. Yeah. But some of us need to stop the fruit immediately. Some of us even need to cut back on the veggies. Now, until you get your metabolic disease under control, then you can start adding stuff back in and seeing and using a glucometer and using the blood test that you now know to ask your stupid doctor for. You can follow your metabolic illness and see, oh, man, I added back in whatever and my blood sugars went up. I can't eat that. That's okay. Take that out of your diet, okay? And so (laughs) I just had a a lady yesterday, Friday, who came to me and she said, I went to the dietician and I told her I was doing keto. And she said, immediately she got upset. And so anytime a professional gets emotional, that means they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And what they're about to say next is useless information. That's a, that's a human law you can take to the bank. Anytime a professional, whether he's an attorney, uh, your bank executive, any, anytime a professional gets emotional, the next thing out of their mouth is bullshit and probably will be harmful to you, either health, financially or legally. It will not, it will not help you. Okay. And so this, this dietitian got immediately emotional, upset, angry, and said, that's not sustainable. 
Tell that to our ancestors who. Right, right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah. And then my little mental exercise I play on almost every video I do. Let's go back in time, 50,000 years. Your, your ancestor back then, your 200th or 500th grandmother back, she would eat as many carbohydrates in a year as you eat in a day. That's why when I say your pancreas cannot handle the modern carbohydrate load, I'm not joking. I'm being, I'm being literal when I say that. Your ancestor would eat as much sugar in a year as you eat in one meal. That's how we evolved. That's how we lived on this planet for 99.99% of our time here. Only for the last 50 years, 60 years, when people like Ansel Keys villainized saturated fat, and then the American Diabetic Association started pushing lots of whole grains, that's when we started eating this many carbs. This is a flash in time. This is a tiny bit of time for the human timeline. Your body does not know what to do with 60 grams of carbs or 40 grams of carbs in one meal. It has no way of dealing with that. That's why you wind up on insulin. That doesn't mean you have an insulin deficiency. When your doctor checked your fasting insulin, it was high, remember? You don't have a deficiency of insulin. You've got a, you're being poisoned by carbohydrates. I had a older relative say that because of their issues with insulin resistance or whatever the test they took was probably BS. They said to the person, they're like, oh, well, you know, you're just older. Sometimes the pancreas gets tired. I was like, ah, I'm just not buying that bullshit. Yeah, I've had, I've had, <laughs> I've actually had type one diabetics because I follow the C-peptide very closely. And there's actually emerging research now that shows that if you'll eat low carb enough, your pancreas will actually convert other cells into beta cells. And you can actually slowly, slowly increase the amount of insulin you make endogenously by eating a low carb diet. And I actually, I saw a guy for the first time yesterday, he traveled from North Carolina to Tennessee to see me. And he said, you know, I heard you say that on a podcast a year ago, and I've started doing that. And my, my C peptide has went from 0.1, which is essentially none to 0.4. And based on that, he has been able to stop his meal insulin, his immediate release insulin. He uses a tiny dose of basal insulin at bedtime. He's a type one diabetic guys, type one. He's not, he's supposed to be on insulin all the time now. He has he is in the process of reversing his type one diabetes, and he takes ten units of of, of Lantus at bedtime, and he eats super low carb. And his last A one C was. Are you ready? He's a type one diabetic. Every type one diabetic, listen up. Stop what you're doing. Stop multitasking. His last A one C was five point three. He's a type one diabetic. He's on ten units of basal at bedtime. That's it. He checks his blood sugar all the time because he doesn't, and he, he's 50 and he looks great. Okay. I don't know if you guys, type one diabetics, if you haven't heard of Dr. Bernstein, you need his book, The Diabetes Solution. You do not have to match your carbs with insulin. Just stop the damn carbs. Yeah. The car. <laughs> Carbs are evil, people. Um, and, you know, Dr. Barry has a lot of videos about why grains are crap and why you, you do still need to get rid of the effing oatmeal. That's usually the last one everyone seems to hold on to. They're like, but, yeah. but I thought oatmeal was the one that you're like, no, there's right. no one that actually is good. Right. Um, you know, in kind of wrapping up in this last 10 minutes, I want to get into 
Uh, I know you know how it feels. Mark Sisson, Brad Kearns and I, we talk about this a lot. In fact, I was recently just listening to Mark uh, in person talk with the group uh, at the XPT with Laird and Hamilton and Gabby Reese. And he, you know, he always talks about like all the good shit's happening when we're fasting. There's so much good shit going on there. And I feel a thousand times better with a four to six hour eating window. I feel so great being fat adapted. Um, I went off the rails on some uh, um, mango actually this summer and I uh, just was into frozen mango. It was like 108 degrees and I I felt like something sweet, but real sugar kind of sucks when you go primal because it's too sweet. So I went and got some frozen mango chunks and I kind of went to town a few days in a row on them. I overdid it. And you know what? After a couple days, I started to not feel right again, even yep. for someone like me. And it's just mango. It's just a couple cups of mango. And that's probably really the only sugary BS carb I had those few days. I could tell after a few days of indulging in that, that, that I had to just cut myself off because I was going, I could tell my brain and I could tell things were going in a, a wrong direction with the way that I was feeling. And, you know, when you eliminate the stuff and then you reintroduce and you go a little overboard, you, you you're so easily like, I don't want to feel that way. But getting back to all of the good stuff that's happening in a state of fasting, there are so many benefits to this. And this is why everyone should consider going down this path. Yes, absolutely. And so I'm a big proponent of intermittent fasting or time-restricted uh, eating. I for, for the last few years, my average, I have a four-hour eating window. And so I'll actually eat during that four-hour window. And the only other energy I consume during that time is I'll put a little grass-fed butter in my coffee during the day. And when I say a little, I mean a little, folks, not a lot, just enough so that I'm not hungry. And I keep right on functioning, full steam, 100% energy. And then when I get home, I usually eat about 6 p.m. So from 5 p.m. to to 8 or 9 p.m., that's my feeding window, and that's it. I don't eat unless it's a special occasion. And I think that mimics perfectly our ancestors' heritage. They didn't eat constantly. They didn't. They didn't have a, a a meal or and a snack every two hours. That's terrible advice when you look at our ancestral history, right? And so, yeah, you get you get this wonderful thing called autophagy when you fast. But what a lot of people don't realize, and what a lot of uh, influencers in this space don't talk about enough, is that when you're eating very low carb, that is a fasting mimicking diet. And you get a certain degree of autophagy when you're eating keto or when you're eating carnivore or when you're eating very, very low carb, high healthy fats. That is a fasting mimicking diet and you are getting some autophagy. Now, the ultimate way to get the benefits of autophagy, and if you don't know what that is, you need to find out, is to fast, right? And the way to get the most autophagy is a water only fast. There's no doubt about that with a little unprocessed salt in your water. You get so many benefits from that. Your body actually heals. And we're backwards in our paradigm, L, in the U.S. We think that to heal, we should eat a lot. And it, you, you makes common sense because you're like, well, you got to have building blocks to, to repair. So I should eat a lot. And I need a lot of energy for, for repair. So I should eat a lot of carbs. So yeah, that makes perfect sense to the average person who's not awake. But once you realize that's not how the human body functions, Right. That, you know, and that'd be like saying, oh, my, my car has a bad muffler, so I'm going to fill up the tank with gas, and I'm going to put a bunch of, of gas cans full of gas in the back seat and in the trunk because that'll help my muffler. No, what? No, 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 no. More energy is not the solution. You've got to fast, and you've got to eat a fasting-mimicking diet. That's how your body turns on autophagy. That's how your body heals. That's how your body improves. More and more elite level athletes, you know, you and Mark know this, are, are turning to fasting 
and, and high fat diets, very low carb diets in the midst of their training. They're working out fasting because they heal faster and they respond better to that. And so, so many athletes are carving up before they go to the gym. And when I say athletes, usually that's the guy that's not a no. And so he's lifting heavy, but he's, he's, you know, he's, he's pre eating with, with pasta or rice, or he's drinking this huge carb load during his workout. That's why it takes you seven days to get over the pain, Bubba. That's why is because your body can't heal. The average person who's fat adapted and who uses fasting, they can work out as hard as they possibly can. They've recovered in three days. I'm, I'm one of those people, actually, yep. considering yep. all yep. that I've been through. And it's amazing. And, you know, you mentioned about the little bit of butter during the day. For people that are curious, I usually don't eat from morning until sometimes 2, 3 p.m. It just depends. Um, I may have a little collagen or something uh, in my coffee, or I will take a little tiny, like, not even like a, a flat teaspoon of coconut butter. And then that seems to just carry me through until I actually need to eat my meal. And that even right. after workout. And, you know, we can... Uh, we could do a whole podcast about that. We could do a million of them. But mm-hmm. one of the things, you know, Mark Sisson talks about is when you're a sugar burning carbohydrate dependent person and you're working out, then you really do need to worry about like, oh, well, do I work, uh, eat before or after? Or my muscles going to waste? And, you know, keto and carnivo is muscle sparing. You don't need, to, it's protein sparing, right? You don't need to, there's no rules. So it's such a wonderful world to live in because if I'm not hungry after my workout, that's great. And frankly, that's even more beneficial to me with all those cascade of hormones that are happening for that hour afterwards. And it's wonderful to not, you shouldn't be starving and tired and exhausted after a workout. It should be the opposite. And that really comes when you, when you get the brain hooked on fat in the right way. Absolutely. If you want to, so everybody out there who's trying to get healthier, trying to get fit, trying to look better. If you know, there are people who pay a thousand dollars a month for HGH injections, right? And there are people who pay a hundred dollars a month for testosterone injections. And and some people need those things. I'm not being negative about that, but what I'm about to tell you, you need to listen to. If if you're broke is a joke or if money is a thing in your household, would you like a free surge of HGH? Would you like a free surge of testosterone? Would you like to, to initiate autophagy for free? Yeah, if you would, then fast. If you would, then eat a very low carb, high healthy fat diet. Because both of those things naturally raise your HGH. They raise your testosterone and they initiate autophagy. And so the, basically you can't have a better cocktail if you're trying to put on muscle or lose fat than HGH, testosterone, and autophagy. That is what everybody's going for. This is how you do it. Yeah. And it's, it's so much easier. Um, we're going to do way more of these video podcasts, I'm assuming, uh, this year, but in wrapping it up, you've got great resources. First of all, you do some remote medical consultations. It doesn't necessarily mean you, I think can prescribe unless they've seen you in person. I know many of people I've referred to drive up and see you in Tennessee or neighboring States. I love that you're willing to talk to people on the internet. Sometimes people just need to hear it from a doctor to get light the fire under their ass. So you off, tell us all the ways we can connect with you. You have a very active YouTube channel. You're on, you know, social media constantly. There's so much free information we can get from your knowledge. So tell us how we can easily access all of that. So if you, if you're one of those people that still like websites, I have a website, it's, it's kendyberrymd.com. And then off of there, you can link to all my other social media and there's a ton of resources there. Uh, I'm very active on YouTube. If you just search Dr. Barry on YouTube or on Facebook, I think I'm the top hit 
And then I'm also on Instagram and Twitter. And I, I kind of try to follow the style of each of the different social medias. So I'm kind of, you know, nice and visual on Instagram and I'm snarky and smart ass ish on Twitter. And then I try to just do good, uh, uh, you know, fervent work on YouTube and Facebook. I also have, I, there's a, an app called eVisit, the letter E visit, all one word that you can download on your iPhone or your Android and you can sign up and you can e-visit with me. Now, unless you've seen me face-to-face in Camden, Tennessee, in my office as a patient, it's wellness coaching only. There's no, I don't give any medical advice on e-visit I don't, or on any of the social medias. I don't prescribe medications. I don't order tests. You have to have seen me in Camden, Tennessee as a patient for me to be your doctor and give medical advice and order prescriptions or testing. But I can sure enough give you lots of information that you can then take back to your doctor. And, and one, one of three things will happen. You'll get the testing order that you wanted, or you'll piss your doctor off and realize that you need a new doctor, or you'll educate your doctor and you'll help him start to help other people. All three of those is a victory, in my opinion. Absolutely. And I just want to say this, you know, for writing a book, someone who dealt with a million uninformed doctors and was extremely uh, harmed by them, to be honest with you, to find a doctor like you or Dr. Gary Forsman, um, someone who's open to hear some information or you, you, what about this? I brought a book on T3 to Dr. Forsman recently. And I said, you know, I just think this is, I've never brought him a book. And I said, you know, I think there's, and he was like, Hey, I'm totally open to it. If you think yeah. this is something that could possibly help me help another patient, then why not? And that's the kind of doctor we're looking for. We're looking to someone who's exactly. open. And if they're not open to looking at some information, obviously they're not going to read 20 books you bring them. They're busy, but there should be that level. I also just want to throw this out. Once I come see you in person in Tennessee, then we can work remotely, right? I don't need to come in for yes. every visit after that in person. That's right. You're just yeah. saying, no, hey, that's right. see me yeah. once and then you can kind of... Right. And then you need to come back every year or two to keep the legal doctor-patient relationship active and that's that hasn't been tried in the court yet. You might have you might legally have to come back every five years, but every year or two, that seems to be rational advice, right? And then I can work with you remotely as your doctor and give you legal medical advice. I can order testing for you, no matter where you are in the world. I just did an e visit the other other day with a guy. He's active uh, active duty military. He was in Dubai, and he he e visited with me. He's like, dude, I got this going on. What should I do? And I told him what to do. And we fixed the problem. And I don't even know how many miles away Dubai is from Camden, Tennessee, but he's my patient. And so no matter where he happens to be in the world, I'm still his doctor because he came to Camden and see, he saw me one time. Now, I'm not trying to get you to come to Camden. We're, bo- we're pretty booked, okay? I'm just trying to get you to understand that you can do this yourself. You might need to do it with the help of a good doctor, but so much of this you can do yourself, right? And um, I was going to say, oh, uh, I, oh, yeah, yeah. I want to say this, L. If we got one more minute, yeah. Any, and so you talked about taking a book to Doctor Forsman, and he was actually happy about that, right? He was like, oh, cool, I'll check it out, right? That's the sign of a great doctor. And so, a red flag that you need to to change your doctor is if you take anything you've printed out from the internet or that you've written down a list of things you want to ask about, or, hey, I found this book. What do you think about this? If your doctor gets emotional, if your nurse practitioner gets pissed off, if your physician assistant gets angry because you did that, huge red flag, you need to change your doctor. And I love what Carl Franklin of the Two Keto Dudes, he says, either change your doctor or change your doctor, right? Either change your doctor's mind or change your damn doctor. 
I love that. And we can all, you know, learn so much and help our doctors help themselves and others. I actually have uh, helped other doctors start to test for certain things. You never know. Some are open, some are not. It's always worth a shot. And if not, you yeah. run and you find yourself an informed doctor yeah. like Absolutely. Dr. Ken Berry. Thank you so much. Everyone suffering or just getting diagnosed with type 2 or prediabetes, there are obviously major answers and you can turn it around. Both Dr. Ken Berry and I both turned around pre-diabetes and you know we were somewhat in arena of unbeknownst to us it happening to us so it can it can be fixed by everyone and i just challenge you all to get uh, as much knowledge as you can um and we will put all of the ways to connect with dr barry in our show notes thank you so much for for joining us it's my pleasure i'll see you next time So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. It's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my god! So she likes like the mayo on. A oh yeah, she so she loves those. So we love them as well. We have uh, we we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo. We eat the balsamic. We eat the the ranch. Um, the avocado oil we use all the time, and, and so you know that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish, Balance, Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. <laughs> and uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure.